Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I remember how it used to be. The phone's ringing off the hook. Clients are coming in the front door like crazy. And here comes little technician Timmy. Timmy comes up and he says, hey boss, where's my part? Where you want me to go next? What you want me to do? Gosh, Timmy, if I knew, I'd tell you, buddy, but I am covered up. All of that stopped when I found Shopware. With Shopware, you get an industry-leading expediter right there in the software. It tells you if your parts are here, where your technician should go next, and how much time they have left to complete the jobs in the day. Go to GetShopware.com to learn more. GetShopware.com. Hey, everybody. David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. In this episode, Lucas sits down with Adam Huber, the co-founder of Clarity Coat, a leader in producing peelable paint for the auto body industry, selling their product in 28 countries around the world. Adam is also the host of the Auto Body Podcast, presented by Clarity Coat, where they interview industry professionals and provide a fresh take on looking into the mind of modern collision repair. Adam and Lucas are joined by the venerable Dutch Silverstein, the owner of of A&M Auto Service in Pineville, North Carolina. Because Adam and Lucas are easily a third of Dutch's age, my math is correct on that, they were able to have a discussion on the generational differences between both owners and employees and how it affects our businesses. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation, but before we get started, make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel. And if you're on your favorite podcast listening app, you know what to do. And now, here we go. Like one of the big things for Dutch and I, 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 I signed up with a company that like sends you, um, clients and it was through this deal where you could get online and you could check and see if your price was accurate or people could check your price against them. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, Dutch had dude, this cat, like I thought he was going to kill somebody. Um, he like starts sending me death threats. <laughs> he's he's like, "What the hell are you doing? You know what what is wrong with you?" And I'm, I don't understand. And and so, a lot of times I'll find myself in this situation where Dutch or somebody who's been there before me will say something, and I don't fully understand. Like I don't grasp the big picture of it. Does that make sense? Like you're hearing them say it, but you're not really understanding why they're saying it. It couldn't be that bad, right? It couldn't be that bad. It couldn't really affect that many people. Yeah. And then over time, I'm looking at it and I'm like, holy crap. Like 
they're trying to set a precedent that you go to them for the price and they're who sets what the price should be. Mm-hmm. And they're who tells you who's a qualified shop and who's not a qualified shop. I made the poor little dude from Simple Tire cry today. He called and I'm like, dude, I can't get behind what you're doing. You're you're trying to turn this into a commodity. It's not a commodity. It doesn't work. I'm sorry, I can't participate. I'm not trying to be mean to you. And so, like, when we started talking about all this, I I got to thinking, you know, Adam, I I was talking to you yesterday, and you brought up something that I thought was um, super interesting because you said, you know, why are they even doing it? Like, I don't understand why they're, why are body shops working for uh, insurance companies that won't pay them properly. There's things they can do to make money. Why do they need to do this? Yep. Why do they feel prisoner to that? You know? And so it comes back to this concept. Like I was talking to Dutch earlier. If we're not careful, we all sell ourselves to the devil. Does that make sense? Like we all end up in this situation where we begin to give someone like that authority. And the next thing, you know, you end up like body shops and insurance companies. Yeah. Uh, I, I get myself into trouble. I got myself into trouble a lot when I was younger, which, you know, take that for what it is. Cause I'm 32. I have socks at home older than you kid. <laughs> what the hell's the matter? Take that. The one 32. You were being burped last week on your mother's Nana. What are you kidding me? So, oh, I'm taking them 32 when I was younger, like 20 minutes ago. Give me a break. When I was younger, you know, I'm ancient now at 32. The the elastic, the elastic in those bad boy socks is completely gone. Um, they don't stay up. Every time he takes a step, but you know, exactly. the footy pajamas ain't working for you anymore. God bless. Uh, but uh, so I always used to have this problem in school and when I was a mechanic, where when we would do stuff in the shop or in the school, I would always ask the question, well, why, mm-hmm. why, why do we do it that way? And something that I learned fairly quickly is that almost anyone in really about any situation can only answer the question why about three to four times. And then all of a sudden it reverts to like one of two ways. Either they get super frustrated because they now realize they don't even understand the reason why they're doing it. Or number two, they just basically go back to the standard answer of, well, that's just the way it's always been done. So that's just the way we do it. And (laughs) I don't like that answer. Like if that, if that is actually the best way to go about something, I'm all for it. But I like to kind of get in there and just like break some stuff first because there's so few things in life or business that actually will wreck you and destroy you. Like there's so few things in business that will actually crumble you um, overnight. It, it just, it's so rare to happen. So yeah, I don't know if you saw, well, actually you and I were talking yesterday about the guy and uh, there's a body shop owner in Minnesota asking about building out um, or how much to pay his uh, detailer. And my answer to that was, well, just make the detailing its own center, like its own part of the business and build that out. He actually DM'd me later on and said, hey, you know, we've actually tried that before, but it dies off in the winter. And it's like, okay, so, so like, so you just give up after, right? Like, after you the just stop? <laughs> like, <clears throat> I think and one of the strengths or weaknesses, depending on how you look at it, for myself is because I'm kind of an outside from the outside coming in type of guy. 
I look at some of these things and then I start asking why a lot. And right. I start to, uh, so uh, it run. Lucas and I have been telling you about parts tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your parts tech account, go to my shop and click on the rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. Running a detailing business is a lot different than running an auto body business because you've had insurance companies feeding these guys as an easy business avenue. Well, you know, quote-unquote easy. I mean, we all see the groups about how they have to fight for every little nickel and dime in repairs, but you don't have to really do a whole ton of marketing because the insurance companies um, feed the work to to you. I mean, it's still a good idea to do it, Um, but it's not the same as other types of businesses where you literally have to like keep that pipeline full by your own efforts. Does, do you guys agree, disagree? What's your guys' thoughts? Well, and and here's the thing is, is I, There were a lot of shop owners who looked at the program that I was talking about as a marketing thing, mm. right? They didn't see it as any more of a threat than a marketing thing. And and at the end of the day, it wasn't a marketing thing, right? Like when you really, and listen, I've got friends that work there. I'm, I'm not saying anything bad. It, it's It's that their motivation wasn't what you think it was. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. In other words, like when we talk about, you know, and one of the reasons we wanted to have clay on is because, you know, and, and who is it in, uh, who is it in Charlotte Dutch? Is it Billy? Billy Wachowiak. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and so he, one of the things he says is like, don't let the person who owes you money decide how much they owe you. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you need to understand what their motivation is. And Dutch is always saying to me like nothing for nothing. What do they want? Yep. yep, and like I, I, I always looked at it like in this really weird way. Like, well, what? Not everybody's doing something because they want something. No, they are. Right now, is it is it because they want something that's going to enrich your life and their life? Maybe, or is it because they have selfish reasons and they're looking for their own uh, motivations? Right. Yep. I, and and I'm I'm in this book, so I went to a, a class a while back. And you know who Bob Berg is? Mm, no, it doesn't ring a bell. He, he wrote the book, The Go-Giver. Dutch, you know who I'm Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Great book. 
Yeah, really good book. And and so he was teaching this class and I've got to talk to him and meet him. We're going to have him on the podcast soon. Um, one of the things that he talks about, right, when you when you you're in his class, he's talking about it and he's like, there's a difference between uh, manipulation and motivation. He's like, you can motivate someone if you're doing what's best for them. You can manipulate them if if what you want is something that's best for you. Like if we can align and both be going in the same direction. And and so I think there's a very, very dynamic line there. And and the fact that these companies and now insurance companies have got to the point they don't have to anymore, right? I'm gonna cut Lucas off because if if I don't um, this can go on for an hour and you'll never hear from me. Basically, it'll be three minutes in the beginning. And then occasionally he'll check in with me to make sure I haven't fallen asleep because he, he thinks I'm old. And then um, so basically it, what it all comes down to is someone far wiser than I said, we each navigate by the star of enlightened self-interest and true altruism is a very, very, very rare commodity. Um, finding the people that we have through the ASOG group who the only personal enrichment you get is the satisfaction of knowing that you're helping another. It's rare. And that's why we look for advocates such as yourself, um, to be able to express their thoughts about things because we're being drowned out by the incessant drum, the loud unyielding drum that the insurance companies and other companies in our industry um, are playing to drown out competition. So for me, when I hear that, because, and I'm just going to tell you, Lucas speaks very well of you. And the reason I was really excited about being on tonight's podcast is because you don't see too many advocates in our business, true client advocates. Now, I, I, I will take issue with a couple of things that you said, which we can discuss later on, uh, because I, I don't agree with you and I'm a lot older and smarter and wiser than you and more experienced, but I'm not bigoted or anything. <laughs> I'm not at all prejudiced. So, yeah. don't, you, know, don't, you know, but um, okay, Lucas, back to you. Uh, I'll be quiet for the next 25 minutes while you drone on mercilessly. <laughs> no, I mean, like, seriously, I, I, I think it's really important because you, we need to talk about the fact that, that A, you look at, at what body shops have done, mm -hmm. right? Because that, that was really the big thing that Adam brought up that was like an aha moment for me yesterday. Was why in the hell, like we, we talk about this, like why are techs working for bad shops? Why are, um, why are bad shops hiring bad techs? Why do we continue to do the same? It's almost like an abusive relationship. Why are you staying in it? Are you crazy? Get the hell out. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in the same respect, like Adam said to me yesterday, why is a body shop doing work for an insurance company when the insurance company is not paying them a sustainable rate that makes them able to stay in business and pay their people properly? Just like the detail guy. Well, we can't pay him anymore. We're going to have to take the money away from the paint guy because we don't have money anywhere else. Mm, yeah. And and so like that, that was the big thing that came full circle for me was like, 
you know, this organization that I was talking about really started by saying, hey, look, our prices are way higher than anything you would expect anyway. Like, look how high our prices are. But by the time you really nail down and you start getting things where they're supposed to be, and you think about where we actually are as an industry, they're way low, right? And I'm not going to call them out by name, but like when you start putting a pen to paper and say, okay, here's where we are right now, guys, I'm going to tell you something compared to other trades, we're way freaking behind, Yep. right? I mean, we should be charging way more than we are right now. We're working on technology. The other trades don't even like you call an oven repairman and he walks up and he's like, yep, that's the code. You know what that means? No, what? You need an oven. <laughs> I mean, duh. And that'll be $90 for a service Exactly. Fee. Yep. So, I mean, Dutch, what what is your thought? Like, what do you, where do you see this from? Uh, All right. From a business perspective, because you know I'm a numbers guy, right? So from a business perspective, uh, the reason that the auto body business um, is so sought after in many respects, by independent business owners, is because it's so very, very lucrative. And yes, it's certainly true. The The door rate that a body shop charges is much less. It's less than half of what I charge for mechanical labor rate. And even their mechanical labor rate is far and away much, much less than what I charge. But they're willing to eat a lot of crap because of the volume that they deal in. Mm-hmm. I have... a, a Uh, a person that I know works at at a local body shop and that one person wrote $225,000 worth of estimates. One person alone this month thus far. Yep. So when you think about it and because in the body shop, while it's true, I mean, it's staggering to think I know guys that have been doing this for many, many years, over 20 years, and they're earning 15 and 16 dollars an hour and they're good at what they do they're very good the way they make their money is by the body shop version of our flat rate Mm -hmm. because these guys will routinely turn 130 140 hours a week right because they know what shortcuts to take and what it is that they can get away with and being a direct repair facility for insurance companies if you stay in their good graces, and it's not easy to do, is a very, very, or can be a very, very lucrative proposition. And unless there's public awareness of what's happening behind closed doors, <laughs> truly what's happening, those areas in the body shop business that are shady or unethical or downright immoral will continue. I don't care how many cameras they put up in of the shop floor to show so that Mr. and Mrs. Smith can log in and seeing their car worked on. That's not one one thousandth of what's actually happening. Yeah. So they're being fed and they don't want to really kill the goose that lays the golden egg. When you have a body shop and I've seen it because again, I've been in this business a while. When you have a body shop, that's a direct repair. And they're doing very well. And then they do something to tick off their primary account. They're struggling Mm -hmm. because they're not getting people off the street. People will come in, they'll write estimates. Can you save me my deductible? Do this, that. But they're not, the business drops off Mm -hmm. when they get to be direct repair and they're in the good graces 
by getting the repairs done early so that the company doesn't have to pay for extra days and rent a car and by using the uh, the parts that they want and et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's very, very, very lucrative. Whether they pass that down to the employees, I can't say. But so you're saying the owner wants the boat? The, the owner wants the boat, figures he's earned the boat. And listen, if it was really bad enough, then his techs would leave. But if you got have a guy who's turning 120, 130, 140 hours a week, right? Even though he's at 15 bucks an hour, he's not in a hurry to leave. I, I mean, I understand that, but but I mean, here's the thing: is we've heard some horror stories. I've told you this. We we've have there's weeks that we get a hundred to to 150 emails and messages from technicians or, or owners in one given section of of time. You know, week two weeks. And you would not believe some of the things these guys put up with. And you can't help but sit here and say, like, why the hell are you staying there? Like, if they're treating you like that, why are you there? And, like, you know, I'll I'll never forget this. A good friend of mine, Fernando, works in a local restaurant. And he said his wife was working for this other restaurant. And uh, I, I, what it was is I said, hey, I've got to meet somebody for lunch there. And he said, no, you don't. And I said, what do you mean? He said, call him and tell him you want to go somewhere else. And why do like okay? And he said, my wife used to work there, and management would yell, and they would say, "You can't, you can't uh, wash the plates. We don't have time to wash the plates." Oh. You take a rag and wipe them off, and put them back in the stack. And and you know if they're not dirty, just put them back up there. Well, I mean, we've heard of shops asking techs to do things like that. I mean, guys, you go back and you look at that. Was it Eagle Collision? Is that is that the one I'm thinking of in Texas? Oh, with the uh, unglue, with, the, with yeah. the yes, yeah, yeah, right, and 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 they like they skirted that little sucker every which way they could, and I mean that cost them big, you know. Just before this start, I was talking about a a, a family member who lost their life. I, I think it's easy for us to lose sight of the fact that we're working with people's lives, right? I mean, the work that we do on an automobile can be life or death. Is it life or death every single day? No. But one mistake away from being alive for death. Yes. Yeah. I think it's easy to lose sight of that. Um, something, Dutch, a couple of things that you uh, talked about, well, actually both of you. I think one of the things that I would like to throw out there is what you were saying, Dutch, about how the tech that's making $15 an hour, but he's turning 140 um, flag hours and and such, and they're willing to put up with a lot. I think it's important to bring up or talk about the fact that just because it's worked, it, just because that's worked in the past, doesn't mean that the people that are coming up in the industry are going to put up with the same exact things. Yes, um, I can see that. And you know, you can have anybody, not just you, but people can have their opinions about millennials and them being soft and everything like that. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's already being talked about in the industry, how there's a tech shortage. So you either figure out the problem or you don't. And then if you don't have techs, you can't turn work. And then what have you really done? And one of the things that I think is really interesting about service-based businesses, whether it be auto body mechanic, you know, whatever is I think one of the things that we're starting to realize now in all service-based industries is that company culture and leadership and management training 
is something that has been sorely lacking for decades. And that's something that has to get caught up on. And you look at quote unquote, more traditional type businesses, you know, like, I don't know, just corporations, just throw it out there. They've been doing management style training and whether or not that stuff is effective, it still gives you toolkits or sorry, still gives you tools to use in your everyday business when it comes to stuff like this. And you have these managers like Lucas is talking about where they just create or owners or other techs even that just create these really terrible work environments. And then you have younger people that come in there like, well, why the hell would I want to work here? Like, I don't, I don't really care about what I'm making. Like I'd rather just, yeah, I'd rather be here, enjoy what I'm doing. And again, that's an opinion that, you know, some, you can have one way or the other, but that's just the reality of the, what the, um, new workforce coming in is going to want. Well, you know, I've shared this with Dutch before and I've, I've said it on the podcast a lot. Um, the next generation of employee, the next generation of entrepreneur, the next generation of human being, they don't live to work. Nope. They work to live. Yep. Right. And, and my dad said that to me a while back and it, it just, I, I didn't really understand or appreciate what he was getting at. And what it was is we had a young employee who worked for us at the time, not, not in the shop, in the family business. And he basically came to dad and said, Hey, I would like to make X because I, I want to be able to do this, 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 and this. Now I know Dutch is over there getting ready to <laughs> F and explode. Yeah, I'm not saying coming. a word. I am listening. I am and calm. I'm striking a yoga pose. Goose faba, goose faba, right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I think as I've aged, as I've matured, I've realized that's not realistic. I, I, I'm not saying is it. I'm not saying it's not possible, right? Like we live in a world where you can get on YouTube, you can get on um, any type of social media channel. And you can create content that people like and make millions of dollars. Yep. You know, I'm getting ready to pour a, a floor for the shop and I'm doing research and I'm trying to, you know, fully understand the process so I can make sure we're doing things the way that they need to be done for our exact scenario. Because some of the folks involved aren't, they've not been in this scenario, very talented. I'm not saying anything like that. They've just never been in a scenario like this. Mm -hmm. And, and I begin to meet these people on these YouTube channels and it turns out, these guys are pouring concrete so they can make videos. Yep. Okay. They're making millions of dollars on YouTube, making videos about making concrete slabs. Right. And, and I mean, it seems sort of cliche. It's unbelievable. It's hard to imagine that they can generate that much revenue with something like that. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to say, no, you can't um, be successful and, and, and grow, but, but something I think that many of the new generation lack or, or, or don't see the next generation, if you will, is they fail to see the amount of work that it takes to get you there. Yep. Right. And it takes, it takes hardcore passion. You see, because when you've got passion for something, all of a sudden it's not work anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. You think I want to be out here till eight and nine o'clock working on the shop. You think I want to be in my shop at three o'clock and four o'clock in the morning trying yes. to get everything ready for the day. Absolutely. No. hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Well, so you know what I'm saying though? Like yep. 
it, I, it's a passion for me and I love it. And that's why I do it. And I, I think that's where you cross over. Where does that next generation go? Are they going to find their passion and find their drive? I'm sure they will. No, you know, it was, uh, I it think it was a, a little girl being born on February 14th, uh, 2011 for me so uh I, i'll just add to that and then dutch i'm 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 curious as to what your uh what your thoughts are but um <laughs> no yeah, but no. i talk with a lot of um college kids um you know because we're basically the same age and <laughs> according <sighs> to dutch <laughs> um and it's 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 really interesting to me the these kids, I think one of the things that people underestimate about them is their intelligence to be able to learn something extraordinarily fast. Yeah. Um, way faster than, um, uh, in my experience, um, other generations have been able to, including maybe even myself, uh, my generation. But I think what will end up happening is, you're right, Lucas is, I think these kids are going to, you know, they're going to try their thing and they're going to give it a shot and they're going to realize how much work it takes. And I think either one of two things is going to happen. One is they realize it and they go, Oh, okay. Well, that's why not everyone is successful at this and moves on to something else. Or number two, they realize, you know, I can actually live off of X and I'm totally fine. Like, I don't really want anything more. Yeah. Here's the things that I want to do. And I'm just okay with doing that. And I don't know, like, as long as you're not bitching and whining about how the government needs to subsidize every part of your life. And if you're actually okay with making, let's say 20 grand a year, well then just make 20 grand a year. Like you're good to go. Um, but don't whine and complain about, how um, corporations are, you know, the overseers of our worlds and, you know, the CEO shouldn't make millions of dollars. Well, I mean, you don't know what that took. Um, so anyways, right. uh, Dutch, yo, your thoughts. Oh, there's a lot to unpack. Go for uh, it. <laughs> okay. Um, the problem with the, and I hate using this phrase because it's cliche. The younger generation is our fault. That's people my age because we drop the ball. If there's a problem with millennials or generation X, depending on the age of the listener, um, it's our fault because we didn't establish the proper expectations, just like in a business. What I see is a sense of entitlement and a lack of ambition. Mm hmm. And that is very, very, um, that spells disaster for our industry because they perceive no value in what, in the service that we offer. Mm. I don't have in my client base. Now, admittedly, I, I, I have three generations. Mm -hmm. Okay. In my client base, I don't have older people, people my age or within 15 years of me call me up and say, you know, I saw this video on YouTube and this should only take you uh, about an hour and a half. What do you mean it takes four hours? Mm, yep. But I get that from younger folks all the time. Mm -hmm. And while I agree that they're much more proficient 
with the latest technology as social media, et cetera. I'm certainly going to disagree that and state that they're with your assertion that they're more intelligent. They're not. Uh, if they were, then standards wouldn't continue to have to be lowered. There is a uh, examination that was given to Jersey City High School a hundred years ago. And I've posed a challenge to people. You can look it up. Entrance exam, Jersey City High School. I think the year was 1870, actually. 1864, 1870. And I defy college kids to pass that exam. Mm -hmm. Um, So no, I don't. I believe that they think that they're more intelligent, that they have more answers when they should, in fact, have more questions. Mm -hmm. But they haven't been taught to think critically. And this is going to tick somebody off. So uh, Lucas is like, oh, I'm glad he gets the hate mail. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think think you're bringing up um, a good point. I would like to quickly say that I don't know if I said intelligence, then I will retract intelligence. But I believe what I said was that their ability to learn something new is quite a bit faster than what I've seen otherwise. And that doesn't necessarily equate to intelligence. That equates to the flexibility to learn different things. Um, you can be extra. I mean, we've all probably met people who are extraordinarily intelligent, but they're awful at people skills or mm-hmm. in real life situations. Right. So they're not flexible in that kind of way, but um, I'll have to look up that Jersey city. Um, oh, yeah, sorry. Jersey, Jersey city high school entrance examination. Okay. You know, so there was an Ezra Moore video and he was talking about um, something. One of his coaches shared with him. And, and it's a quote from a book, and, and you should watch the video because he basically explains that the coach said that my grandfather walked 10 miles to work. And he said, uh, my father worked five miles. Mm-hmm. I drive a Cadillac. And he said, my son drives a Mercedes Benz. Oh, yep, yep. I know this quote. Right? My grandson will drive a Ferrari. My great-grandson will be walking again. Yep. Because hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. Yep. And weak men create hard times. Yep. And I think a lot of that goes back to what Dutch just said. Mm-hmm. Because, and, and please don't misunderstand, the, the problem is not knowledge, in my opinion. The problem is passion. The problem is, is when we hand things to everyone, Right. So like, you know, I was kind of on this trajectory when Dutch and I met that I wanted to kind of sail through things. Mm -hmm. I I wanted to, I wanted to enjoy life. I wanted to do the things that I wanted to do. And I was really committed to this idea that I was going to allocate specific time for things like my family and this and that. (laughs) And yeah. And, you know, Dutch like set me down serious as shit and said, the sacrifices of today are going to pay for the blessings of tomorrow. If you really want that for your family, you're going to have to do things that are uncomfortable that you don't want to do. Yep. Successful people do that, which they don't want to do when they don't want to do it. Right. Yep. Totally agree. And, and, and I think that it's easy for us to lose sight. And, and, And here's the thing is I think it's a passion problem. Because I think what we're seeing with the next generation is, is they're not really fully engaged and growing. Now, 
look, how how many years have you seen Gramps complaining about the little young whippersnappers? Right? Every generation, generation of every generation. Exactly. It happens over and over and over again. Yep. And and the one thing that I will say is the next generation, eventually Gramps is sitting back saying, well, you know what? That one right there, my grandson, he actually turned out pretty good. Yep. Right. For me, the motivation was my daughter. For me, the motivation was already there. The, <clears throat> the passion was already there. It took somebody like Dutch and David and all these other people in my life giving me a, a, a push towards passion, mm-hmm. right? Showing me the direction I need to go. And I, I think the reality is, is a lot of us don't know where to go. Right. I think the next generation really wants to do big things. They want to do great things. They just don't know what. They don't know what. They don't know how. They don't know where. Yep. And right. I would, uh, I would love to insert a personal story into this of because it, I, I'm not saying that this is definitely what's happening this is definitely the solution to the problems it's just something to chew on and to think about which is to be completely honest with you guys i'm loving this conversation so far because i don't think anyone's planting a flag in the ground and saying nope this is exactly the way that it's supposed to be and that's that's just the way it is right it's a conversation um so i just want to say thank you guys for the great conversation so far but the it ain't done yet (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well i'm i'm pretty hard to offend so <laughs> go for it but there was this interesting thing that i went through when i was younger uh again you know ha ha but mm-hmm. <laughs> uh i i was again so i was a diesel mechanic for probably five seven years something like that and i used to work as a diesel mechanic on trucks for a construction company they had a fleet of like 85 trucks right. and um, I was the only guy that would repair the truck. So the, all of those trucks were my responsibility. And I realized after working there for a little while that I had an enormous amount of passion for what I was doing that I didn't have in other biz and other uh, mechanic shops that I worked for. And what I finally figured out what the reason why was, was because I made a situation where, uh, so the truck drivers would get to work at 5 a.m. And I, we weren't supposed to show up as mechanics until 7 a.m. Well, the problem was if there was ever a truck that was broke down when they got, the truckers got there in the morning, the truck was down for at minimum two and a half hours before I could actually go out and fix the truck. right? Right. And then you had the problem of like these multiple layers of telephone that then I would bring out the wrong part and it was just this whole disaster. So what I did was I handed out my phone number to all the truck drivers and I said, I'm going to start waking up at four 30 in the morning. If you guys have a problem, I want you to call me and I will come in and I'll do all the paperwork on the back end, and we'll, so that you guys can get on the road. Now for every hour that these trucks are down, it's costing this company thousands of dollars. Right. So it's extraordinarily important to get these trucks going as quickly as possible. And then when I transitioned over to a different mechanic shop, all of a sudden I had no connection to the customer anymore. I had a connection to my shop manager who then it didn't matter how good or bad of a job I did. He was the one either getting yelled at or praised for the work. Uh And, and where that comes important in this story, sorry if you're kind of the longer story is when I had the, my detail shop and I had four full-time employees I started to notice the same, I don't give a shit attitude about the quality of work. 
And so I was sitting there thinking, and I was like, you know, what's the deal? And then one day what happened was customer comes in, picks up her car. I'm out there walking around the car with her, pointing things out. She's praising the detail and everything like that. And my employee happened to be standing in the doorway, kind of like, you know, listening to everything. And then after everything was done, he was like, yeah, you know, it must be nice to um, get all the praise for work that you didn't do. And I was sitting there. I was like, oh, okay, that's that's the thing. Right. So then what we started doing was when we started doing the walk arounds, I'd pull the employee out and then have the employee do the walk around with the with the customers. Yes. Instant, instant 180. Now, all of a sudden, what would happen is if the job went well, customers praised the employee. If the job went bad, I went out there and said, nope, this is my bad. I didn't do the final quality control check. We'll get this taken. I'll get this taken care of personally. You know, blah, blah, blah. You guys know the know the gist of it. And instantly, those guys started caring way more about their work. So the question I would like to pose is 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 the passion not there because there is a there's a there's a way that we are doing this kind of work that doesn't translate to that same um maybe maybe that's what the problem is they they're feeling a disconnect in the work because they don't understand what the end result of their work results in you want to you um, want to make sense you want to hear dutch stroke out <laughs> okay so let me explain something to you dutch grew up in a different generation Right? Yeah. Yep. I don't even think he realizes this yet. Um, <laughs> I don't realize I was born in a different generation. Wow! Look at that. Could it be? Ta-da! A thought I never had before. Yeah. I figured um, Dutch was like forty at most. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, so, long story short, you know, I, I think he grew up. You know, he was in, he was a pilot for a major airline, mm. right? They did things differently. He grew up in a part of the country that they did things differently than they do here in the South. Yeah. Right. And so <laughs> this has been a culture shock for him. Uh, but, but in all seriousness, I think that generation that he grew up in did things in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I think we still had apprentices to some degree. I think we still had tradespeople who were taught by the generation that came before them. Yes. hundred percent. And, and, and it wasn't about passion. It was that I had a responsibility. I've got a responsibility to feed my family. Yeah. I'm never going to let my family want for anything. That's my responsibility. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to provide for them. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to raise them. Right. And I think as things have progressed, and I don't mean to go back to the strong men create easy times and easy times create weak men, but I'm going to. Because I think over time, we've got away from teaching the next generation how to do the job. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll never forget, both of my grandmothers saved country crock containers. <laughs> Every grandmother on this for, planet did. Right. And I wonder <laughs> Even the Chinese for, ones. <laughs> right. And I wonder They don't for, understand why they have country crock. They can't read it. But they're like, I don't know. I'm a grandmother. This just appears in my fridge. Well, well so I always wondered. Like, why do you save all these old containers? And my granny told me one time, she said, sweetie, until you, you've not had anything, you didn't have something to put something in and there was nowhere to go buy anything. And even if you wanted to, you didn't have money to give them and they didn't have money to give their vendor to buy it mm-hmm. until you've lived through something where there was nothing. 
you know, right here in, in my hometown is Samaritan's Purse. And I, I had one of their employees in today and he said, we live in this tiny little bubble and we think that we're oppressed and we think that we're not getting everything we deserve. Listen, I, I've been in Miramar. I've been in Sudan. I've been in Venezuela. I'm telling you, we've got it freaking made. Yeah. Yep. Until you know what a true struggle is like, until you experience something that takes you down a few notches, I don't think you can understand a perspective like the generations that came before us that had a passion for survival, not a passion for something they felt warm and fuzzy about. Does that make sense? Dutch, what do you think? Well, the, the issues that I see is you're, you guys hit the nail on the head um, in that for me, the expectations of what life had in store for you were really different growing up. And Lucas, you used the word responsibilities. Well, for us, it was obligations because right. a responsibility can be disavowed. An obligation can't be. Right. And we didn't expect, I came from a family with the East European tradition. Self-esteem was something that you earned through action. And the action had to be worthy. In other words, you didn't get complimented. You were things were expected. In in my house and in the generation, you know, of the people that I grew up with, you were expected to get good grades. You didn't, oh, you got an A? Oh, this is great. Oh, you got a no, you were expected. And if you didn't, there was a problem. So your self-esteem ultimately wound up not being something that was frail. We didn't get a participation trophy. It was okay to have winners and losers. And if you lost, you work harder. There was no passion that was brought to it. It was out of a sense of obligation. You worked because your father worked. And he worked because his father worked. And you did what was necessary because you have obligations that required you to do it. And you shut up about it. And you didn't complain about it. You put your head down and you did it. There was no, I'm going to tell, you know, because you're telling stories. This is a very quick story. This is the type of environment that I grew up in. As did many of my friends, my grandfather was a diabetic that required insulin injections three times a day. And I remember this is in the 60s and um, in the 70s. Consequently, because they didn't have glucose monitoring or any of that sort of stuff, uh, he had to eat three meals every day prepared at the same time every day. Mm -hmm. Could not vary, not off by two minutes. Had to be every single day, three meals at the same time. So one day my mother turned to her father and she said, you know, dad, all the years that you've cooked for mom, I've never heard you once say, Lena, that was my grandmother's name, Lena, this is good. Why is that? My grandfather looked slowly at his daughter, my mother, and said, well, if it was bad, don't you think I'd say something? <laughs> now, compare and contrast that yeah. with that which we have now, where the righteous indignation occurs because someone used the wrong pronoun. Yep. So I think that 
the younger people that are entering the workforce, those that choose to do it, have a really rude awakening because the idyllic world that they envision that they'd like to live in doesn't exist. John Lennon is alleged to have said, life is what's happening while you're making other plans. Unless they adapt, choose to adapt, we're in, we're in the words of Tom Lara sliding down the razor blade of life. (laughs) Well, you know, so it's interesting. You, you say some of the things you say and, and when we were in Florida for that, um, presentation, you know, it was one of, uh, the coaching group I'm in, they did a a live event there and Bob Berg was speaking and he, he was talking about something. Sometimes it's just the perspective that we need. And he said he, he was in a fast food restaurant and a young child came running across the floor and his parents were calling for him. He'd got up, got away from him, taken off. If you've got young kids, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and said he face planted on the floor and said he was watching from afar and that mom and dad, and, and I'm guilty of this, right? But he said, mom and dad, they didn't panic. They didn't run over. That's the part I'm guilty of and say, Oh, are you okay? They walked over and said, wow, that was a good fall. And instead of getting up and crying and pitching a fit and being so upset, the little boy went up and went on about his way. So, Right before that happened, you know, one of the the experiences that I connect all this to is my daughter was in a a spelling bee and they clearly stated the rules of the spelling bee before the spelling bee started. And she made a little mistake. She went back and corrected a word, but they said in the beginning of the rules, if you do that, in other words, if you, if you come back and correct one letter out of the word, you're out of the spelling bee. That's mm-hmm. the rules. It doesn't matter whether I think the rules are right, wrong, or indifferent. That's the effing rules, right? That's what we're going to play by. That's what we're going to do. And so she was upset about it. She got her feelings hurt. She made it a good ways through, but it got her feelings hurt. And, and as we walked out, my wife's saying to her, like, hey, you did a good job. Better luck next time. You know, buckle up, buckaroo. That's life. And the guidance counselor comes by. Now, I thought I was going to have to prevent my wife from murdering someone because the guidance counselor (laughs) leans down and says, oh, it's okay. We're so sorry. We were thinking we probably shouldn't have done that. Mm. And my wife says, no, I've got this under control, right? A week later, she pulls her into her office and asks about her home life. Oh, man. Right? All because my wife stands up to her and says, no. We, we're not going to reward the fact that she lost and say that we should change the rules. That's not, that's not going to lead to the behavior that we hope for our daughter, right? That's not leading to the strength that she needs to become the person we want to see her be and, and the strength she needs to be successful in life, right? And so I, that when you say that, Dutch, that's really what comes to mind. Just taking the perspective to see how a child reacts differently when we respond to them differently and think about how we got here, right? Think about the coddling that had to happen. Think about the, oh, well, you deserve to to have the name you want to have. You deserve to be able to change things that are fact to what you want them to be. No, I mean, 
Fact is fact is fact. There is, you know, David and I had that conversation a while back. There is no like gray area with truth. The truth is the truth is the truth. There is no other way to look at it. Oh, yeah, there is. Oh, oh, wait, I wasn't supposed to say that. <laughs> You're talking about objective truth or subjective truth because both exist. You want to get into a philosophical discussion here? Rock on. Let's go. Yeah. We're not doing that without David. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, we can, that's, man, there's so many good pathways that we could go down and talk about with this. But one of the things, Dutch, that you had talked about was that if this younger generation, um, basically, you know, they don't shape up, that they're in for a rude awakening um, with real life. And while I, uh, on some points, I do agree with you, I think that that's just, well, I mean, maybe you won't agree with this, but I think that's just kind of uh, a young person, a journey that a young person has to go through, no matter what generation they've re- they've really been in. At some point, young people have had to face hard times and then, um, or adversity, and they either, they either overcame it or they didn't, right? Um it's just your typical hero's journey type of thing. Now, the question to ask is, sure, uh, we could wait out the younger generation for them to come around, or which what's which battle of attrition is going to win? If, if the shops can't bring in, or the service industries can't bring in workers, which... Again, as well, not again, but something to point out is, you know, we're going through, quote unquote, the great resignation and something that I actually you can check on my personal Facebook, which maybe you don't have Facebook, but um, I posted. Maybe I don't have Facebook. Well, hey, I mean, some people Maybe don't have Facebook. I do, I'm not a Luddite, <laughs> okay? I'm, I'm using technology now. Maybe I don't. Wait a minute. You know, I think I've just discovered plumbing. Oh, my God. There's <laughs> indoor plumbing? There is such thing as indoor plumbing? Wait, wait. Unbelievable. What, what is this strange box on the wall? <laughs> what am I talking into right now with all these <laughs> right, little strange this? voices coming up? The microphone? Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but the reason why I bring that up is... um. Uh, I posted on my personal Facebook shortly after, you know, they started throwing around the terms great resignation and everything. And I said, one of the things I wonder has, if it's what has happened is that during the pandemic, you had a large group of people that were essentially forced to do something other than work. And then through right, wrong or otherwise realized I don't actually like, need the job that I think I do. And I can actually get by by doing X. And you have a lot of people doing uh, small jobs, semi-entrepreneurial kind of stuff that they make just enough money to get by, but they don't necessarily need a job in order to do it. And the only reason why, and then shortly thereafter, there was some sort of report that came out that, um, um, gig economy jobs mm-hmm. are um, steeply on the rise and all these other kinds of things that are kind of like semi-entrepreneurial type, type of things because, and they related it right back to the, again, the quote unquote great resignation. And so the question to ask is sure 
like, again, you can have your opinion about um, younger generations and their personalities and everything like that. And I'm not saying that I necessarily disagree with you at all. But the question comes in, who's going to win that battle of attrition? Consolidation. Consolidation will win. And what you will have is uh, a return to the apex of of, uh, a business cycle with less competition. Yes, totally agree. So what you're going to have is there are always going to be people. Now, we we certainly can can disagree on the number or we can agree that the number is going to be dramatically reduced that want to pursue um, the mechanical side or the body side for whatever reason, whatever trade is going to be there. But in our industry, we know that the jobs are always going to be there because cars are always going to break. People are always going to get into accidents. So the jobs are going to be there. And what you're going to see is mass consolidation. And once that happens, and we're seeing that now in other fields like in aviation with, with pilot pay and with technician pay in hours. Then you get to see the dramatic increase and now the job becomes more relatable and more desirable. Totally agree. For those that are ambitious. Yes. Because yeah. while we can agree that the gig economy is you know allows people to a certain amount of, of freedom – the fact is that the gig economy relies on my people, my say that I mean my generation, and people with my work ethic and your work work ethic and Lucas's work ethic to carry the load, because ultimately they don't carry the load. Did you they ride assume? in the wagon, and occasionally they, they jump down alongside of it for a little while, then they jump back on the wagon. They don't make that contribution. The contribution that they make is for themselves. Yes. Yep. So by having that low-paying job that allows them to have more freedom as they see it, which, again, this is America, man. You go ahead and do it. Knock yourself out. You don't get to complain to guys like me who have sacrificed that you want something forgiven, like yes. college debt. Yep. No, no. No. That doesn't, doesn't work. So the way that I see it is we're going to have mass industry consolidation and – uh, Lucas and I were talking about this a while back with body shops. Uh, I'd mentioned we, we were just chatting. Um, in this area, several of the body shops have been bought up by Caliber Collision. Mm. All right. And, yep. and we're seeing that more and more and more where body shops, are, smaller independents are being bought by larger shops. They're not outfitting the, the uh, independent. The locations, they each have like one ADAS center where all the shops satellite into that one main center for ADAS work. And that way that keeps the uh, cost of the equipment purchased low because now each facility doesn't have to have a complete ADAS setup. They just take that and bring it to the ADAS center. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, I I think we're going to see it and... um, and it's it's already been happening, right? I was yep, talking yeah. to uh, my friend Chris the other day, um, and I've, I've talked to some others recently. Uh, it's happening in the in the repair world too. Yep, Th- this is not just happening in collision. This is happening everywhere. It's already kind of taken off, right? We're we're getting to the next level right now. It's speeding up, and and it may 
I think we're going to go through some dips and valleys of these acquisitions and, and consolidation. I think we're going to see some changes. We're going to see it go back and forth. And you're exactly right. That is what's going to happen. There's Where we're at right now is not sustainable. Yep. We're seeing poor quality repairs. We're seeing poor quality, you know, and, and we talk about this a lot. A lot of techs go out. They want to start their own shop. They want to, they want to do their own thing. They want to be their own boss, but they don't want to do the work that it takes to be the boss. Yep. Right. Um, I've got a really good friend and, and look, I'm not, I'm not picking on him. I'm not going to call him out by name. He knows this. We talked about it yesterday. Yeah. 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 Um, (laughs) he was, he was over here, uh, yesterday with one of his employees and the employee said what he needs to do is he needs to be the owner. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I just need some guidance. So I asked him, I said, what do you, you know, what have you set for him for scheduling? He's your service advisor. How are you? How are you having him schedule? I'm not. Okay. Um, well, what what have you set as far as expectations? Does he know what his hours per RO are? No. Okay. Does he know what the technicians should produce a day? No. Does he know what his sales goal is a day? No. Does he know what your warranty is? No. Right. All of the tools of the trade this guy doesn't have. And, and so this kid's learning it. He's getting it. He's going with it. He's going to get there. But the point is, he's been in business for four years. And he's going to kill me for saying this on the podcast. Hopefully, he's not listening. Um, <laughs> give me his name and number. I'll make sure yeah, you listen. Give me his email address. I'll make sure to <laughs> yeah. send the link. Yeah, there you go. Basically, yep. I'm going to text him right now so he knows. Um, Adam and, and I so, are on your side, kid. <laughs> <laughs> as bad as this sounds, the, the truth of the matter is, for the past two and a half, three years, he's been part of the problem with the industry, not part of the solution. Yep. Well, and you know? that's it. Sorry to interrupt, but no, you're fine. That no. is, that is um, exactly what I mean and refer to when I talk about like management or leadership training um, as a service-based industry. So I went to college for mechanics, right? And right. the very first project that I got thrown on was to rebuild an entire engine. <laughs> and it's like, Okay. Um, well I can't do that. And I mean, could I? Sure. Like I, you know, I could trudge my way through it. It would take six times longer than it's supposed to. Hey, by the way, your truck's on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Oh shoot. I crossed those two wires. Um, but anyways, there, it seems like in the service, in any service industry, and I'm not picking on one or the other, there's this overall attitude of like, well, just figure it out. Okay, well, I can figure it out. But then when you start screaming three months later about why everything's taking so long and blah, 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 you haven't set your person up for success. And again, that kind of goes back to that can go back to work ethic, passion and all these other things. But um, just by chance, Lucas or Dutch, I know you guys are very learned people and it seems like you're avid reader. We got him fooled. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I ain't ever. <laughs> uh, have either of you guys happened to have read the book, um, Extreme Ownership by John? Oh Malone? yeah, of course. Yep. Um, I love that book and it wasn't mm-hmm. until I read that book that I actually realized like, oh, okay, that's how I live yeah. and think about a lot of different things. Um, and I, I'm definitely not to the extreme of Jocko, but when, whenever an employee or a customer wouldn't be happy with something, I would immediately revert to, oh, shoot, what did I do wrong? Like, Absolutely. how could I have done this better? Yeah. Right. It, definitely. And, and so that was a turning point for me. 
right? Because when I took ownership of it, see, here's the key behind that book. Here's the key behind that TED Talk. Here's the key behind extreme ownership. It's very, very simple. If you own it, you can freaking fix it. Yes. If you put it on somebody else. That's yours versus trying to fix someone that's three levels away from you. And and look, here's the thing, right? So let all right. I'm David, I'm gonna need you to edit this out. I want to be very careful about what I say. Oh, just speak, I'm, you big I'm girl. just gonna, just I'm just gonna mind. go ahead and say that you see, I, I'm starting to see Dutch's perspective. Uh oh. Yeah, I know, right? See, I told you it needed to be edited out. <laughs> I have a curmudgeon junior. Um <laughs> I'm I'll, so proud. You, your bibs are on the way. <laughs> uh, so you know, here here's the thing is is that I agree the next generation we need to treat with a different finesse than we have previous generations, right? Mm-hmm. 100%. I agree with that. But I also believe that if we accept poor quality workmanship, we accept someone who is not going to play by the rules, we accept somebody who's going to call out when they feel like calling out, when we tolerate poor performance and poor behavior, See, the problem is, is we're not helping them. Yes. Totally it comes agree. down to just like the charging situation. You're charging more than everybody else. You're charging too much. No, you don't understand what I'm providing for my value. I am doing things so I can make sure I can take care of you. I want to make sure I can send a tote. I want to make sure I can fix it for free. I want to make sure I can fix those other things that went wrong if it was my fault, because I want to be able to stand behind it. I need to be profitable to do that. Yep. Right now, we're going through an experience with a employee. And I've shared this on the podcast before, not, not in my shop, in the family business. And, uh, he had got involved with drugs and alcohol many, many years ago, had kind of straightened up, kind of got back around it. And he was married. He got married while he was working for us. She was having health problems. She was at work at the family business here. Dutch will tell you these two family businesses right next to each other. Mm -hmm. And he went to the other family business went in and said some really nasty things to her. Mm. And, uh, that evening she said, I don't feel well. I need to go to the hospital. She drove herself to the hospital. He went to check on her. They said, you can come back and get her in a couple hours. He came back and she was dead. Man. And he has gone deep into alcoholism after this. And he is aware of it. And he keeps saying things like, I just want something to take this away. I just want something to make everything better. And and in a lot of ways, because we wanted to be nice to him, we continued to enable his behavior, even though we knew it was wrong. We, uh, <laughs> Tim Kite says, you promote what you permit. Yep. Okay. Yep. And if you're permitting bad behavior... And so what we did is we enabled this person and now we've got him in a really dark spot and we take personal responsibility for that because we didn't stand up and say, Hey, we're leaders. Yes. Right. And leaders lead. We take our people and we lead them in the right direction and it's for their best interest, not our own. Now I'm going to tell you something. When I say that I'm beginning to see Dutch's perspective for a long time, I thought we need to be cushy and nice and warm to our employees. I'm not saying that we don't need to be cushy and nice and warm, but I am going to say that there has to be a set standard. Yes. There has to be a rule of law, if you will. There has to be an expectation, and they have to meet that expectation. If not, you are doing them a disservice, not doing yourself a disservice. Yeah, you're going to hurt your business doing that. Allowing them to poorly perform in your business yes. is doing more harm to them than you could ever do good for them. Yes. 
Yep. Because you're enabling them to perform at a low level. They could do so much more for themselves. They could do so much more for their family. If you tolerate it, if you permit it, you promoted it. I, I totally agree. And uh, funnily enough, you know, the, follow, the follow-up book to Extreme Ownership was Dichotomy of Leadership. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, for anybody who's listening, y- you absolutely have to read both books. You can't just yeah. read one and then assume that you know the other one because it actually kind of goes into this. And when I propose the question of, well, how does a shop have to treat the uh, a new generation differently? I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily proposing or advocating for cushiness or over niceties or poor workmanship. If any of that happens, the first, the first thing is, is did you as a manager or leader set the right expectations and set them up properly for actual success in my mind? And number two, if you work with them and if they don't improve, it is your responsibility to fire them immediately Mm -hmm. because that will spread like a cancer in your, in your organization where if you're trying to build excellence and then excellence looks at, well, sub excellence, they're going to be like, Oh, well, why should I work so much harder when you've got Jimmy over there? Oh, wow. I brought Jimmy into this podcast and I didn't even mean to, um, <laughs> Dutch, by the way, you're, you're like, you're like the Jimmy of my podcast. <laughs> I'm the Jimmy of the podcast. Well, you know, at least, okay. What is Jimmy your age too? He's like 12. Uh, nope, nope. Jimmy, Jimmy is an old boy. Um, you'll have Jimmy, to listen Jimmy's an old boy. Oh, yeah, you'll have so to he's to like, podcast. what, 45? <laughs> <laughs> you'll, to get the joke, you'll have to listen Adam's to the podcast. A, um, oh, man. But, uh, the, the, it is, if you, if you allow substandardness to creep into your, um, organization, it will spread like wildfire and yeah. it will overtake it. And so then it's your responsibility to nip it in the bud as quickly as possible. Absolutely. And, and look, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the book killing Patton. Um, I learned a lot from that book and, and, uh, you spend a little bit of time doing some research on George Patton, man, the, the guy was crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> in a very beautiful way. He was, he was insane. Um, he was a leader, right? He was brilliant in many ways. And he led many men through a battle that they shouldn't have been able to survive. Right. And, and he turned a tide that we wouldn't have otherwise been able to turn. And if you look back at some of the things he said and did, he was a leader first and foremost, Mm. right? He didn't tolerate poor performance. He didn't tolerate bad behavior. He ruled his troops with an iron fist in a lot of ways. And it didn't matter who he stood up to because, you know, and you have to read the book, but at the end of the book, there's a lot of thoughts of what happened to Patton. Maybe there was more to the story of what happened to General Patton. And it was one of the thoughts that maybe it was because he stood up to Eisenhower Mm. and he said, if you don't deal with this. If you don't handle this problem, this is going to be a problem. If you don't handle it, you're going to have a much bigger problem. Now, I'm not going to spoil the book. You got to go listen to it. You got to go read it. In the end, he was right. But the point that I'm trying to make is it didn't matter who it was. 
he stood up for what he believed in. He stood up for what he believed was right, no matter what. Mm. Right? Was it always done gracefully? No. And I, I'm learning that, that like, as long as I'm going the direction that I think I should be going, right? I'm really thinking about my decisions before I make them and trying to move my my troops, if you will, in the best direction that I know how right this minute. Some action's better than no action, right? Oh, Dutch, man, I'm sorry. I should not. Listen, you, you know, you just, <laughs> I, I know you needed to get it out of your system. Right, you just keep on going. Some action's been in no action. All right, a couple of things. All right, yes, I'm going to remind you completely. One, uh, when hey, I- whoa, 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 what? Before you say something, yeah. is what you're going to say going to help somebody? Or is it going to hurt somebody? I just want to. I'm just picking. I'm just picking. This time I'm joking. I'm no, that, that's all right because that was an excellent piece of advice. That uh, because I'm a very direct person. I, I, I really, I'm not politically correct. I'm not diplomatic. And Lucas actually taught me that about dealing with people that were not of my age or background. Because if you ask me if the dress you're wearing makes your ass look big, I'm going to tell you, yeah. I'm not going to tell you, well, honey, I think you got other dresses that are maybe a little bit more flattering in the closet. You know, um, you know, that's just the way it works. But so Lucas, in, in fact, um, he thinks I don't listen to him. And but I do. You know, it's, it's not always easy because I need a, a translator for Hillbilly a lot of the time. Um, <laughs> then I have to play this three or four times. And, you know, I get it. Um, but no, he has, he has really said some things which have deeply affected me and allowed me to work with people that I can't stand differently. Um, you know, cause I can't stand people who are weak like that, but, um, I'm not judgmental. All right. A couple of things you guys were, were talking about, uh, Jocko, um, just as a heads up, if you want to have a moment of silence, um, Richard Marchenko, who is the leader of SEAL team six died a few days ago. I don't know if you, if you guys knew that he was, uh, 83, I think years old. Um, so if you want to observe a moment of silence for him, he was a great man. Um, absolute character the the issue that we're having that we're kind of beating around the bush um circumnavigating it is we're not helping people who don't want to be helped right you can't push a rope if you have somebody who wants to come into a business and learn the way things are done that's fine then that person's a sponge and you owe them everything every effort um, to help them be successful. You don't owe that to people who don't want to ex- extend the effort. Yep. You, you just don't. Okay. And since we're uh, all kicking out these wonderful little phrases, I'm going to contribute this one too, because I've been laying down some real jewels this evening and I hope you guys have been taking notes. It's going to be a quiz at the end. Um, and that is that which is not corrected continues. Yep, you're exactly right. Okay, now I don't, um, I am not of the same opinion that that you guys are, um, because you were raised in a different, again, a different environment. We've discussed this in, in the past. Um, I want to see initiative, and I don't see that. I don't see initiative. 
I see compliance. What I mean by that is begrudging compliance. And it's not with, you could say, well, of course, they're begrudging compliant Dutch. You're a jerk. Nobody would want to work for you, right? I mean, I, hell, if I worked for you, I'd be begrudging too. I'd be begrudging myself and my toolbox right the hell out the door. Okay. So, you know, okay, I get that. But I'm talking about industry-wide and in the yeah. outside world, whether we go to restaurants or other service industries, what I see is not an enthusiasm for the dignity of work, an enthusiasm to be of service. I see begrudging compliance. And that malaise has taken over an entire generation. The lack of accountability that accompanies that is daunting. Yeah. I have never seen, and I've been around, okay? I mean, <laughs> I'm not a spring chicken. Yeah, you're I, 45. <laughs> oh, you, you want money. Okay, so I'll send you a check. That's okay. You're going to be nice to me. Yeah, you, you, no, no worries. I, and it's good, too. You know, I'll take it right out of Lucas's account. The guy's got more money than Carter's got little liver pills. All yeah, right? really saving those pennies. And he's, those oh, <laughs> let me tell you, he's so tight when he walks his sneakers creak. Really, it's it's <laughs> it's impressive, really, when you, when you get down to it. And he's smiling for me to hear because he knows I love giving him a hard time. But, That's um, it. I know you're full of shit, too. <laughs> <laughs> See, I could do this because David can't do this with him. Yeah, right. Exactly. David, David exactly. can't do this with, with him. You know, so you have a special relationship. So you, we will give I you do. Guys a special really, pronoun for your it, relationship. It, it, it's absolutely true. I'd adopt Lucas if I could. I really could because yeah. he's got a heart um, that's as, as big as he genuinely wants to help people. But it's like we had talked about a while ago. You can only learn when it's when you're ready to hear it. Yep. 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 Very true. Right? And it's a pleasure for me to watch him um, blossom. I know it's going to seem a silly word. And watching him thrive in a cutthroat industry where honor and integrity are used as marketing words yep. in order when to garner should, a sale. When it should be the baseline. When it should be the baseline. Yeah. That's, you know, that's where I'm at. If I can, I would like to, again, just propose a thought. Uh, I don't, I, I actually really, really don't disagree with you on the point of um, there being a bunch of just mediocre level of enthusiasm across a lot of different industries. Right. However, let's, uh, let's think about a potential shining light that could be at the end of the tunnel. Lucas, you talked about your daughter. And mm -hmm. um, some of these corrections that you're trying to make as far as um, attitude and work ethic and everything like that. Right. Uh, how old is your daughter? She will turn 11 February 14th. Wow. Oh, awesome. Um, I know, right? That's so cool. I've got two boys myself. I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old. Right. And I think if there's one thing that we can look forward to is that if you have kept your eyes open to these problems that we're talking about that are generational industry wide, you know, those types of things, then really it provides no excuse for us to train our next generations, our, our kin to be much better than they were. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And then think about how, 
how little that our children are going to have to be, um, how low the bar is going to be in order for them to outperform everyone else out there and how easy it's going to be for, and I, I'm use easy as a you know relative term to just outperform everybody and to have a really good life for themselves because of the fact that they had people that were cognizant of, okay, so the shit that we've been doing for the last 15, 20 years, not, that's not the way to go about it. Right. We, we, I think there are elements of past generations in the way that they raised kids were the correct, correct way to do go about it. And we're going to incorporate some of those, you know, I think that's a really good point. And, and so for those listening, I'm going to share and, and you may not agree with all of it, but I will share something that we do with our kids that I have found very interesting. Um, mainly because it started happening to me. Um, my wife found a set of tapes at a yard sale one time called love and logic. Mm. And these tapes are about teaching your children things like consequence from a different perspective. Okay. Consequence that is their consequence. They own the consequence. It's not that you're going to get a spanking or there's this or there's that, because we live in a different world today, right? We all have to acknowledge that, but, but a whole different concept of how we show them consequence of actions. Right. And I'm going to tell you something. It is so effective. It's scary. And so now there's times that I come in and my wife is, is in the house and I've done something she didn't like. And she's like, Oh, that's so sad. I guess we're not going out to eat this weekend. All the hell I'm not. (laughs) But (laughs) I'm going to McDonald's right now. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And, and so if, if you, I, I can't explain it the way that it is in these CDs or this structure, you should go look it up. It's very interesting. Even if you don't use all of it, there's some very powerful tactics in it that teach you another way to approach this, right? Mm-hmm. That, that teaches responsibility, that teaches ethics, that teaches morals, right? But I'm going to tell you something. The one way that you can do that is by example, You have to do this by example. You have to lead by example. And that's not just with your children. That's in your shop. That's in every facet of your life. If you're doing what's right, you know, if you treat people right in the shop, I'll never forget. There's a really great guy who came in. We knew he was a temporary employee. He was kind of like a CSR. And his wife was a traveling nurse. His name was John Amon. And John is just a fantastic human being. And... Uh, I'll never forget. John was on the front counter one day. He didn't know I was in there and I turned the corner and he's talking to a client and the client said something that I'd never heard somebody ask. And she said, would you trust somebody to bring your car here? And he said, ma'am, he said, I have seen these guys do things for their clients. I couldn't imagine another organization doing. I have seen them take care of people in a way that I've never been taking care of anywhere I've ever been. Ma'am, if I'm going to get my car fixed, even when I move back to Pennsylvania, I'm going to bring it here to get my car fixed. Wow. And man, that like, that solidified what we had been doing. And it wasn't anything I had told him to say. It wasn't anything that I had specifically done. It was that he watched 
the thought process. He he watched the actions we took and made his own judgment based upon that. If you don't think that your children and your staff are doing the same thing every day, mm, we'll have a bad time. Yep. Dutch closing thoughts. I want to thank uh, you for allowing me to uh, participate in this. Uh, I want to say that it's uh, it's been a pleasure uh, meeting you, Adam. Um, like I said, Lucas spoke highly of you. With regard to, to, to the subject matter, I'm trying to remain hopeful. I think we shouldn't give up on the lost generation because they have been written off to a, a certain degree. I'm trying to remain hopeful, but I can tell you, unless we turn this around pretty quickly, things are going to get a lot worse, a lot worse because the ideas that are being inculcated in, in, in educational institutions are not going to just die. They're not going to go away. If you're not, as a parent, as an employer, if you're not willing to fight this every single day, you're going to be in a world of hurt. Yep. I agree. I agree. Adam, closing thoughts? Uh, well, uh, it's very difficult to follow that up, so I don't even <laughs> know if I will try. <laughs> I will just say that, uh, Dutch, it has been an honor and a privilege to have uh, spoken to you through this weird device that you're holding <laughs> up to your ear and weird voices are coming out of it. <laughs> I, know, I didn't have to mind the crank or nothing. I'm telling you, this is something else. Mabel, are we on the other line? <laughs> uh, and uh, Lucas, I mean, I've only talked to you twice and man, I am really looking forward to uh, keeping in touch and yes, to uh, hopefully, you know, having future podcasts and talks and everything like that with, uh, of course, with the both of you I guys. So really appreciate you guys having us, having me on and uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing what we do together as far as like podcasts and stuff like that. Absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate both of you being here. My closing thoughts are this. If you were a technician in this world right now, and you really care about the quality of your work. Doesn't matter if you're a body technician, uh, mechanical technician, tire technician, doesn't matter, right? And and you really care, right? You, you really want to put out a good product. You want to learn. You want to be the best you can be. You want to grow. Hang on for a little bit. Don't throw in the towel yet. There are good shops out there that are willing to invest in you. There's a lot of flack. There's a lot of noise out there right now. Hang on for a little bit. Just wait. Just like Dutch said, this is going to get better before it gets going to get worse, worse before, before it gets, gets better. better. There you go. <laughs> it's going to happen. But if you're a technician in those shoes right now, I want you to know that there are great shop owners who will cherish you, who will teach you, who will guide you, who will create opportunity for you. I talked to a shop owner just the other day, and they said, I'm just waiting for the right person to come. I'm going to give them my shop. Mm. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep going. 
If you need help finding somebody, reach out to one of us. We'll help you find a a good place, an honorable place to work. If you're a shop owner and you're listening to this, please get some training. Please. Like, if I have to beg, I'll beg. Please get some management training. Dutch and I have talked about this over and over and over again. Adam and I talked about this just the other day. Don't accept status quo. Don't just accept it like it is. It's time to dig in and do something better. If you think you're going to get different results doing the same thing you've been doing, you're crazy. It's time for a change. Let's learn to do things differently. Let's try something different. There is a better world out there. We have seen too many shops fail. We've seen too many marriages fail. We've seen too many families split up over a stupid repair shop. All because someone won't go get the information they need to become skilled as an owner. The job of owning a shop has nothing to do with being a technician or a service advisor. If you need help, reach out to us. Amen. All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. If you'd like to catch these episodes early, you can do so by becoming a patron. Just go to asog.site. And click on the Become a Patron Now button. Becoming a patron helps support the show, gets you several perks, and is tax deductible. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and on YouTube so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, shoot me an email. My email address is david at asog.site. That's D-A-V-I-D at A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E. Until next time. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. Before I let you go, I need to ask you a question. Are you using the best innovative shop management system in the country? If you doubt that you are, why are you making your life harder? Shopware stays one step ahead of everyone else by bringing a clean, easy to use program unlike anything else on the market. Go to getshopware.com and see what I mean today. That's getshopware.com. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.